But the series um, is simply going to be on the unseen. Um, even saying this morning, I caught the line, and it's going to be another hymn that's on the back of your notes this morning, but um, uh, singing of beautiful unseen things above. And even in the Lord's Supper, Christ says, I would not, when he was on the earth, he said, I will not take this again with you until I take it again with you in the kingdom of God. So even as we participate in the Lord's Supper, Christ joins us. Now that is a very mysterious thing because we don't see him. We can't really imagine how he is taking it with us. Just by faith, we accept that we are because he says that he is there with us. So that clearly makes it a more intimate occasion, a more purposeful occasion, if Jesus is right here in the midst of us when we do this. But that is one of many unseen things in Scripture that we contemplate and we grasp to fully understand. Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, For we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And there the Apostle Paul is talking about heaven and our challenge as believers is not to become uh, caught up in this world, but instead look, though we do not see heaven, but look towards heaven. As we sang this morning, we're marching towards Zion, O oh beautiful, beautiful Zion, the wonderful city of God. That is our final destination. That is where we're headed, but yet we don't see it. So we live by faith. Paul says, or we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, this morning we're going to see that is especially true of things that we might even be uncomfortable with. Or things at best we might be very unsure about. Years ago I was working as a minister in Southern California. And from time to time I would have to go down to the church building at night. I worked there during the days, I had office hours, but I'd have to go at night, usually because I forgot something, or I wanted to see something. Well, going to a church building at night is completely different than going during the day. Isn't that right, Jimena? You've been here at night when there's uh, no one here, and you go into a large facility, and the lights are out, and I'm hearing things I never hear during the day. <laughs> I, I would hear noises, creaks, is that someone... Because you would have this sense that someone was there, even though most likely no one was there. Uh, sometimes I just make it a point to leave quickly. <laughs> I just wanted to get out. Uh, get, grab what I came for and get out. Other times I would recognize I just need to turn on the lights better. Or I need to take a walk down the hall and realize that whatever these sounds are and wherever they're coming from, I can handle them. And that's kind of the reality of what we're going to do this morning and in some lessons to come, understand the unseen. That is, things Scripture talks about and even beings that he talks about that we don't really know because we don't see them. But we have a sense that they're there and we certainly experience them from what Scripture says. We're just going to walk through these really quick, Nathaniel. That's all right. I appreciate you thinking ahead. Uh, we're going to look this morning at just seeing an unseen world. And in a couple weeks from now, we'll look at God and Satan. Uh, and how we're to understand them, what Scripture talks to us about them and tells us what we need to know. Uh, we'll look at Satan and temptation. Uh, we, simply, we, we know we find temptation in ourselves quite easily, but what is Satan's role in the, being called simply the tempter in Scripture? We'll look at angels and demons. Both are strongly referenced in Scripture, but yet we struggle probably more with demons 
And how we do grasp them than we do angels. Uh, we'll look at miracles and other things in Scripture that could simply be called supernatural occurrences. How do we understand them by faith where we have a biblical understanding, but not some mortifying, paralyzing, unbiblical understanding that more fits a Hollywood view? How do we keep away from ho what Hollywood has done with these things and simply focus on what God says about them. And then finally, we'll look at the war that is already won. The existence of these supernatural beings speaks to a conflict that is going on in this world. But the war has already been won, but we are still fighting battles. And we'll look at that as a final lesson of encouragement and hope as we go on. But this morning, seeing the unseen, understanding, appreciating, and living with the true supernatural. There's a lot of phony supernatural stuff out there. There's a lot of stuff that Hollywood directors, um, soothsayers, psychics, and a host of other beings have ran with because we are naturally inclined to kind of believe in stuff that we want to believe affects our life more than it should. And palm readers probably are at the front of the line as people that, hey, I'll take advantage of that. They'll read your palm, I see a boyfriend in the future. Or I see you getting a new house. And, they'll, and then for $25, I don't know what they charge, I've never been to one, but I'm always intrigued by the neon lights outside the little house. And you go on and have your palm read. And, I'm, and if you've done that, I'm not trying to pick on you, but I've kind of thought that seems a little odd to kind of have your future determined by your palm being read. But it shows our desire to know what's going on. And I don't fault the desire of people wanting to know what's going on and, and believing there's some things at place that might be affecting their future. But many times those directions are not credible. But sometimes we struggle with things in the Bible as well. What do they really say? What does Scripture say about things that are supernatural? Even Jesus in His resurrected form, when He's trying to convince the disciples that it was truly His body that had been resurrected, uh, he said, because uh, they thought it was this ghost. So even in the first century, they believed in ghosts. But uh, Jesus goes, does a ghost have uh, flesh and bones like I have? So it's not like it's just something that came about in the 1970s, this belief in supernatural beings and maybe a, a wrong belief in those beings. It's been around for a long time. But what does the Bible say? First of all, in understanding, we're going to see what the Bible says and what it doesn't say. So our first goal in this lesson today is what does it say, what does it doesn't say, and the series. We're going to try to appreciate what we're told, even though we won't have the answer for everything. We want to appreciate what God does tell us, what He does provide for us through inspiration to make sure that we're on the right track concerning things we may not fully understand. We want to make sure that we're on the right track. And then finally, how does this knowledge change our lives? God through Scripture does not tell us about the evil one or about demons or even angels just to entertain us, uh, for sure not to just scare us. But He tells us about these beings and these realities because they change our life if we have the correct understanding. Just like turning on light provided clarity for me when I would go down to a big, huge, dark church building and not know what those sounds were. It was always nothing Sometimes it was something causing that sound. The only way I knew was to turn on the light. So we're going to try to turn on the light of Scripture to see what we are looking for, what may be there, and what is there, though we don't see it, and what is not there. 
first of all, this morning, uh, here's the most fundamental foundational truth that will kind of set the table for everything we look at in six lessons. Um, if we are a believer in God and a believer that Scripture is God's revelation to mankind that shapes our past, how we understand it, our present, how we live, and our future, what is to come, we have to simply accept that an unseen world exists. We have to accept that an unseen world exists. That is, there's more going on than simply what we see with our eyes or what others are seeing with their eyes, simply because there's so much teaching about an unseen world. And then we'll look at what to do with it. I just want to walk through some scriptures with very little commentary. Some are familiar, some are not, simply to show that there's a lot going on out there that may not make a whole lot of sense till God reveals more. Uh, the first is Genesis 3, 1 through 6, J. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, led us through this temptation. Uh, here, creation has happened. Ab and Eve exist. But right off the bat, in the third chapter of Genesis, we find this difficult scene. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here just the presence of a talking snake. <laughs> is challenging enough, as Jay brought out to us. But then it's by faith that we accept that this is Satan taking on the form of a serpent or snake and in this initial temptation of mankind, successfully deceiving Eve and ultimately Adam, we have to come to terms with who is this being that we don't have anything recorded up to this point was in existence along with Adam and Eve. Where did it come from? How does it have this ability to speak and to reason? Why does it choose this line of temptation? So a lot of questions come up right at the very beginning of your reading of the Bible. Let's go on. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Again, Jay has taken us through these texts. The book of Job most likely was written very close to the time of Genesis. One of the earliest books of the Bible. And look what we find here. We'll just look at verse 6. It says, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth on it. Then verse 8, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Just look at the challenges these few verses present. Here the angels come to present themselves before the Lord. That appears to be something that's not happening on earth, but somewhere else. And the, these angelic beings are there before the Lord. We may not know fully what or who they are, but they're there before the Lord. But who else joins them? This being in Scripture simply described in this text as Satan. 
then this conversation ensues between the Lord and Satan where the Lord asks Satan this question, where have you come from? Is this simply a question to pursue Satan? Uh, does he not know where Satan came from? That's a question that rises. Then Satan says he's been going, roaming through the earth, going back and forth on it. So here this supernatural being of Satan is on the earth, walking around, and then God asks him, have you seen this person? That is Job, who lives an upright life. Just to think about what's going on here. Uh, these beings in this conversation, in this challenge, uh, clearly something's going on between heaven and earth, between God, who we are more familiar with, and this person, Satan, who we are less familiar with. And what is he up to? What is he doing? How do we understand him? Chapter 2. This continues. Another day. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1 of Job. It says, on another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. So Satan here is with the angels, presenting himself before the Lord. Verse 2, and the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity. Though you incited me against him to ruin him without reason. Verse 4. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Verse 6, the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. We'll just stop here. Is if we didn't have enough questions from chapter 1, look how many more are presented here in chapter 2. Satan comes back with the angels before the Lord. He's been allowed to have this ability to touch Job's life in a painful way. A conversation ensues between God and Satan, and Satan says, well, uh, you touch him, his life personally, his physical body, then he will curse you and die. And then God allows him to have this power to do that very thing but not the power to kill him or take his life. Then Satan goes out from the presence of God and afflicts Job with these very painful sores. This is not just a Bible story, as some describe what's happening here. This is a very real event, described as real as everything else in Scripture. There's something going on here between God and Satan that affects humanity. And that presents itself all throughout Scripture. Matthew chapter 4 now. Go forward in your New Testament. If you just want to follow along and listen to these, many of these texts are familiar. We see that Satan appears again. Here it's with Jesus. Matthew 4, 1 through 4 says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, People do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5. Then the devil took him 
to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord God to the test. Verse 8, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Probably the most familiar scene concerning Satan in all of Scripture, next to Job, or along with Job. Here, the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness for this very purpose of being tempted. The devil comes, called the tempter initially, but later on called Satan. Three times, specifically tempts Jesus, takes him to a place. Jesus resists every temptation, and then the devil leaves him. And then angels come and attend to Jesus. Notice all that's involved here. You have the Spirit of God taking Jesus to this place, Satan appearing, Jesus saying, God teaches, do not go along with this. The devil leaves, then angelic beings come help Jesus. And this is not simply something you kind of skate through and say, well, here's how to deal with temptation. Let's go on to the next verse. There's some clear realities here beyond the scene that we have to come to terms with, but yet we're getting a clear picture. There appears to be this great conflict between God and Satan over what people with free choice will do with that choice. Even the Son of God, as he took on our humanity. And clearly this evil one, this one called the devil or Satan, is trying to get us to go the opposite direction of God, but also clearly we get this picture from Job, from Genesis 3, and now this scene, that God is allowing him to do a lot. So a picture is being painted for us here, along with a lot of questions rising to the surface. Luke chapter 10. Uh, demonic activity now. Just to complicate things more. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20. Says the 72, that is the 72 disciples, returned, verse 17, with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So here the disciples go out on this missionary trip, but they come back and they, they say, even the demons have submitted to us. And Jesus says something that's very different. He says, nowhere else, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And he talks about having this power over demons. Chapter 11, verse 14. This is very common when you ask someone to read the New Testament and learn about Jesus. They're going to encounter scenes like this. 
Luke chapter 11, one chapter over, verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Verse 17, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this to you because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then... They will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So here you have this very clear scene about demons having lived inside of a person or a demon being cast out, Jesus having power over them. And these enemies of Jesus say, well, you're, you just did it by this power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons, and our question comes up, well, who is that? What is this understanding they seem to have about demons? It's something you have to come to terms with. Let's just go on here a little bit more, and then we'll make an observation and make a couple more points. Luke chapter 22. This is shortly before Jesus himself gives himself over to be crucified. Satan, I'm sorry, Stephen, I'm sorry, Peter, I'm sorry, has taken this stand that he's going to be right there with Jesus all along the way. But notice what Jesus tells Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Here Jesus tells Peter, whose other name is Simon, that Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. If I'm understanding that correctly, Satan had approached Jesus saying, I want permission to tempt him mightily, to sift you as wheat. And apparently, Jesus gave the okay. And that certainly happens to Peter. But then Jesus foresees that he will one day return, though he falls away. And he'll even be in the position of strengthening his brothers and sisters. So we find these continued references of activity between God, his son Jesus, or even the Spirit of God, and Satan. Where there's this active, involved relationship. Clearly one of testing. One of testing humanity concerning what will they do with their freedom. God clearly believing they will choose well, but many times they do not. And Satan believing that we will not choose well. And they will turn against God in our choices. Again, many more questions, but this conflict is rising to the surface. Ephesians chapter 6 now. Look what Paul says about our battles. Starting in verse 10. Paul writes, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you might take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against 
flesh and blood. That is against humans. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes through the gospel or from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We'll look more at this text in lessons to come, but notice verse 12. For our struggle, and our struggle there means our battle, is not against human beings. Our real struggle is not against the person we work next to that we can't stand or against another student at school that bugs us or bullies us. It's not our boss that says we struggle against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil. But they're all connected, verse 16, to the evil one, and that is Satan. And then finally, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your fellow believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of struggles. What do we do with all this? Again, we're going to look at some of these closer in the weeks to come, but this one thing you can know for sure, that your world and my world is a lot bigger than we think. Just what we see around us with our limited eyesight, is this a touch of the greater realities that are going on? There's clearly a conflict going on. Where God, our Creator, His Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are on our side. Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? But clearly there's an enemy out there as well. That at times in Scripture is called Satan. Other times called the devil. Other times called the adversary, in another place called the tempter, or here simply, as in other places, the evil one. If you've ever wondered why you struggle so much with certain sins, or why certain things come out to you that you never imagined, or, or why always ha life has to be a struggle, especially with people, or sometimes with substances. Understand, there's a battle behind your battles. There's something far deeper going on than just, I got a problem with this. And some people even allude to, even though they don't really fully understand what they say, well, that person has their demons. It may not be demon possession as the Bible teaches. We'll talk about what demon possession is versus someone saying, 
Well, I've got my demons to deal with. But, but people are acknowledging that someone may have something greater than themselves that they're wrestling with. Not that they can't win, but there's something beyond themselves that they're battling. And that's exactly what we're showing here because that battle was taken right to the footstep of Jesus where Satan went after him. Satan goes after Job, this upright person. And with God's permission. And if this is happening with Jesus and with Job, don't think it will not happen with you. It appears in Scripture that anyone that takes a stand for God, Satan goes after. And with a ferocity that we probably don't fully comprehend. But we simply have to accept this. Though we may not fully understand it. We may have to simply accept this. But also understand, if this, if, if this battle is going on, your value is much greater probably than what you think it is. Don't think for a moment that, well, my life doesn't matter to anyone. Don't think for a moment that, well, no one cares. Clearly, God cares immensely about you, but so does the evil one. And there's a struggle over you. You're of great value. This created being that has been given free will to choose either good or evil. There's a struggle over your life. Accept that this unseen world exists. We'll quickly end, and we may just end with the second point. Approach the unseen with faith, not fixation. Approach the unseen with faith and not fixation. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 11, verse 1, Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. Let me just read that again. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, being certain of what we do not see. Whether it be God, His Son Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father today, or the Holy Spirit, but most assuredly, Satan, the supernatural demonic beings that Paul alludes to in Ephesians 6, or even angels that we are not physically seeing in their actual form, we simply have to approach them by faith. Because we're not going to see them with the eyes. Satan does not appear in this form like you'll see in Halloween costumes with red horns, or any kind of scary or comical look that has been devised over time. This is an unseen world, but yet it's a world we accept by faith. Again, Paul says in Hebrews 11, we are certain of what we do not see by faith. So just as we believe in God by faith, that He created this world and He created us, we also believe in this tempter or this evil one by faith. That is, we believe in the validity of what the Bible tells us. That the Bible has provided enough historical evidence that the events it records are true, the people it references are real, that Jesus proved himself to be the Son of God, that he rose three days after his death, resurrected, never to die again. And because of the nature of that proof, we then believe that these beings are real. Again, you don't have to be at the scene of a crime 
to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that the crime was committed. The evidence takes us places. And evidence within Scripture takes us to the belief that these things are real, but that doesn't always mean you understand everything fully or that I fully grasp them. Even reading these texts just now, there's things I, I noticed I hadn't thought about or I've seen before, but I realize that makes it even more challenging. Again, you don't have to understand it all. All we have to do is come to terms with and believe what God has said about what's going on. And that is sufficient. And that is living by faith. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We have to believe that the devil exists. That even supernatural forces might be arrayed against us. Simply by faith. And I'm the last person just to believe in imaginary things. I'm the biggest critic of falsehood and sorcery and stuff that's just painted by people that are trying to take advantage of people financially. But this is something I can't ignore. But I come to terms with it by faith. By the same reason I believe God is real, His Son is real, the Spirit of God is real, and that heaven is real. I believe in those things by faith, and as uncomfortable as these other things are, I must also believe in them by faith. That I may not see them, or I don't know why they exist fully, but I believe they do. And that's all God wants. He doesn't want you to attend a college class to understand this more. He doesn't expect you to figure it all out. Just simply believe it by faith. That what he says is going on is real, especially that there is an evil one. Which means that there is more going on in your life and my life than we really know or that we see. That behind every temptation, every struggle, there is someone pushing us. But there is also great power and reason and motivation to resist because someone's pushing on the other side. It is God who loves us more than we know is with us in this great struggle against the evil one and the battle is over our soul and what will happen with us. And the war is over our future. But every struggle that we face with people, with things, with our own desires, relationship conflicts, whatever they are, there's an evil one behind it trying to take us the wrong way. There's also God encouraging us to go the right one because the struggle is over us in this free will to choose good from evil that we see all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. So approach these things by faith, but not fixation. I keep referencing Hollywood. I mean, I like a good movie as much as anyone. But ever since that movie, The Exorcist, there's been this plethora of movies and they are promoted to teenagers about supernatural forces rattling the walls of dark, of dark rooms and scary beings where people almost have this, either I want to be scared to death by this stuff or just entertainment, or there's people that get fixated on it because they are just caught up in the supernatural. They, they want to believe in things that are things they can't see and they get caught up in that. And they, they love things that are just scary to them and ghostly because that's what they really want to absorb rather than seeing the truth of Scripture. 
So they'll always believe someone's behind every bush and they're like, oh, what was that? But they will not come to terms with what God really said, where he's really behind your coworker trying to push your buttons. That's where Satan's really at. Don't think he's in the dark room trying to shake your chair. He's trying to shake you at work. Or he's trying to break down your marriage. Or he's trying to make you rebellious to your parents. That's what he's really doing. Halloween is the smoke and mirrors. <laughs> Don't get fixated in the wrong thing. But do see the unseen. We're going to save the last point for future lessons. Austin, is that okay? Save the last point for later. <laughs> yes. The other things we're going to save for other lessons. But just to let you know what's coming. There's a lot of things to appreciate in your everyday life. I want to end on a good note. We get to talk about angels. Angels are supernatural beings that God will actually send into our lives. They will be unseen, but to bless us. Scripture says that angels have even visited us. We don't, we're not even aware of it. God is invoking a supernatural world to bless us as well. It's not just all Satan's doing this and that. We're going to see how the Holy Spirit helps us. We're going to see how angelic beings help us. We're going to see how that even other people may be, might be angels themselves. That God's looking for us to be a welcoming spirit to someone who desperately needs us because they may be an angel in disguise. Just as we'll see there are bad forces that are arrayed against us that we can resist, there's also a lot of good that God is doing that we don't always see. That We need to understand that in this struggle, He's on our side. And Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. And all these dark forces can all be subdued by God's presence in our lives as we live faithful lives to God. We'll see all this in the weeks to come. But just understand today, your world is bigger than you think it is. And your life is more valuable to God, but also to Satan than you think it is. Don't ever think for a moment you don't have value. Well, just, no one's watching you. There are, there are forces and beings beyond your existence here that are watching over your life because your life is extremely valuable. And the choices you make each day, whether it be 15 minutes from now or tonight around 8 o'clock, are extremely important to your God, but also important to Satan. And for reasons we'll look at two weeks from now. Just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song to encourage us to walk in what is a blessed life that Satan is trying to mess up. He's trying to ruin because he knows what God has planned for you. And he knows what is prepared for you in the future. And, and Satan does not want God to have you. But God has given you every reason to walk faithfully with him. He sent his son to die for you so that you might be free of what Satan accuses you of, that is sin. Jesus makes us free of sin by pronouncing us not guilty, though we are, if we receive his forgiveness through his sacrifice. And when people put their faith and trust in Jesus, they decide to turn their life from dark to light, and they're baptized into Jesus to have those sins washed away. A great victory is won. And then this great struggle over our souls. And today you can have that victory. But it's only through Jesus.
We stand ready to talk to you more about what that means or what it means to be baptized or what it means to believe in Jesus or put your trust in Him. But you don't have to leave here today struggling mightily with something that you don't know what's going on and why this battle keeps on being there and how you can go on and live the future. You don't have to live with that uncertainty and you don't have to live with thinking God doesn't care about you or He can't do something about what you're going through right now because He can and stands ready to. But you have to take the first step to want to know how to win.